Hey everyone, welcome back to the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is part of my birthday special, which is a mini season of seven new interviews that I'm releasing on May 25th. But before we dive in, I've got a couple of great deals to tell you about from people that I've interviewed on the show before. I know a lot of us are spending time reflecting on what matters, and many of you have told me that you're planning on making some big changes in your life. If you're feeling stuck and looking for a push to help you find what's next or just someone to help crystallize the path you're already on, I recommend you listen to my interview with Laura Gassner-Otting and then go and sign up for her brand new Limitless course. LGO just has such a refreshing, no BS perspective on the world and she's been through the ringer. So she's the perfect person to coach you through the changes you want to make in your life. So go to heylgo.com forward slash where others won't. So that's hey, like hey, as in g'day, lgo.com forward slash where others won't and check out the Limitless course. Or if you live in the United States and you just want some kick-ass coffee delivered to your house, head to bluestonelane.com and use wow25 at checkout. Bluestone have been great supporters of mine. And let's be honest, coaches love coffee. Now, enjoy the show. Will, how are you, mate? Good. Thank you for having me on. Really looking forward to the chat. Connected through a mutual friend, Eric Posner. So thank you, Pose, for connecting us. Uh, long overdue, but uh, glad we could get on the phone. Let's just dive straight in, Will. You know, this show is about you know the crossover of principles in, in sport and business. And I know most people come to you to talk about business, but I want to talk to you about sport or I want to start there. So Tell us about your sporting background. What sports did you play? What did you love growing up? What compelled you about sports? And kind of what's your, what's your sporting pedigree? Well, I think I was a pretty energetic uh, young boy. I definitely played a lot of, uh, a lot of sports, probably too many for, for my mother and father to keep <laughs> up with. Um, I grew up on Long Island, so I was outdoors a fair amount too. And... Uh, you know, look, I would I play individual sports and team sports. So on the team sports side, I grew up playing um, soccer and lacrosse. And uh, I was on a swim team. And, and then I was also uh, competing in, in squash and tennis at a, at a fairly high level. Uh, and I was a, a pretty competitive golfer as well. So over time, I was, I was doing a bunch of different sports and and uh, I got, you know, somewhat into biking and, and running as I uh, got into my teens. And uh, so, you know, activities of really all sorts. I loved playing sports. Uh, I thought it was a great, it's a great mechanism to get to know anyone. And, um, you know, sports teach you a lot of, I think there's, there's a bunch of things that are said about sports that are cliches, but something that probably isn't said enough about sports is that they teach you to treat failure as a form of growth, right? Like, you know, uh, squash, which is what I wound up playing 
um, quite competitively. I was, I was captain of the Harvard squash team. And, and so I was playing at a collegiate level. Uh, you know, for example, you would spend an hour just hitting drop shots. And mm-hmm. if it hits the tin, you'd be thinking about, okay, how do you not have it hit the tin? How do you have it, how do you hit it slot into the Nick, which of course would be a, would be a great shot. And I think in, and I see this now with a lot of other, uh, with young people that are entering the professional world, they actually haven't taken a lot of risks in their, in their life. And, and if they haven't had that background of sports, I find that they're even less likely to have taken risks. They're, they're more, uh, they, they fear failure. They feel, uh, they fear defeat. And in a lot of ways, I think sports trains you to view defeat as an opportunity for growth. Absolutely. And I'm glad you raised that. You know, I think there's a, a couple of things and you're in a really unique position in that you've been so heavily involved in both individual and team sports. Like people tend to kind of navigate towards one or the other, but you've seen both sides, both from the practice side, like you are mentioning there and the failure side, but also the team dynamic side. I've written a lot about that in the past and spoken about that a lot on this show in that it, it, forces you into that environment of you know having tough conversations and and solving problems together which then that's what i think the real learnings are for the business world is that those conversations then uh, they seem easier to navigate in in the business landscape as well when you've grown up um you know in that environment in in teams especially would you say how did being involved kind of shape your ideas of your know, teams and leadership as you were building Whoop? Because, you know, you obviously start off with this great idea, but ultimately you have to build a company that's kind of separated from, you know, the technology in which people are attracted to. Yeah, look, I mean, there's really two layers to answer your question because Whoop in itself is building technology to optimize teams. <laughs> so I was thinking about it through, that's like a very meta question that you just asked. Um, you know, I, I guess first and foremost, if you just think about team building, you want to have a common mission, right? And every successful team that I've been a part of has had a leader, whether it's a coach or a captain, that, uh, and this is a sports team I'm talking about, uh, has a coach or a captain that's able to articulate the mission for that team. And, and maybe it's winning the game. Uh, maybe it's the strategy for how we're going to play. But they articulate that that mission, and and they get everyone uh, on the team to buy in. And when it came to building to building Whoop, which is the technology company that I run, you know, we're about a hundred people now. Uh, the way I think about it, uh, first and foremost, is am I articulating a clear mission that everyone in this organization can get behind? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's, I think, one of the fundamental uh, principles that any, you know, anyone who's had any interaction with sports teams can transfer over to, uh, to the business world. Now, there's a number of basic behavioral things too, right? Like best leaders are trying to lead by example, right? It's not what you say, it's what you do. They're you know, in the, in the sports analogy, they're staying late after practice or they're getting there early or, uh, you know, they're listening just as much as they're talking, if not more, uh, all of that ends up being true in in a business, in a business role. And 
I think in particular, if you're a young entrepreneur, so like I founded Whoop when I was 22 years old. And now, I mean, now I'm 30 years old, but still most of the people I work with are older than Mm -hmm. me. So I, you know, I think that I I feel like I have to try to over deliver even more, or at least I try, uh, because, you know, in the back of my mind, I feel like I've got something to prove, right? I want to prove that uh, I belong in this position. I belong leading this company. So uh, in some ways, I carry maybe a bit even more of a chip on my shoulder in that regard. And how do you think you do with communicating that mission? I, I had this same conversation with Nick Stone from Bluestone Lane and, you know, similar background, you know, athletic background and, and had been around high performers his entire life. And, and he admitted on, you know, on, on the show, is we, we had a great discussion about, you know, he didn't think that he had really nailed, you know, how to necessarily communicate and motivate everyone in the organization um, to the same level as, as himself. And he was trying to learn through that process. And, and you've got a, a similar dynamic in that there's yeah, an, an age thing in there. And uh, yeah, so that, like, how would you assess how you're doing with that? Well, I, I mean, one very easy way to do it is to ask anyone in the organization, what's the mission of the company? And if they don't know the answer to that, then I'm not doing a good job communicating it. Now, this gets harder as the company gets bigger. So a year ago, we were 50 people, right? You know, three years before that, maybe we were 20 people. So I've gotten to enjoy seeing what this is like at every different stage. I think one thing you learn just in a leadership position is it's very hard to be too repetitive. Like you should just keep repeating things over and over and over again until, you know, you almost see people rolling their eyes because they know the next word that's coming out of your mouth. Like that level of repetition is actually quite healthy mm-hmm. because it, it helps create clarity. Uh, so, so that's, you know, one thing that I think about. Um, there's other mechanisms that you try to develop within an organization to create feedback loops, you know, within Whoop, for example. We have a management meeting on Monday where all the different executives meet and talk about their different organizations. We have uh, a Friday lunch where I'll stand in front of the company and, and speak about you know the latest developments or answer any questions. So I think it's important to create uh, you know, we, we have certain emails that get sent out at, at a weekly cadence or a monthly cadence that are doing recaps. And within all of those different forms of communication, you try to come back to some of the same themes. So at, at Whoop, our mission is to unlock human performance. So I'm often talking about the importance of human performance. How are we driving towards that? What are the different aspects of our business that we're working towards to improve human performance, whether it be hardware or software or analytics or uh, membership services, all these different components of the company? Because what you ultimately want is you want every individual in your organization to be able to feel how the work that they're doing ultimately contributes to that mission. And that in turn, I think, makes people feel empowered in their jobs. It makes people feel like uh, they're, they're all fighting for that, for that collective mission together. And, and that's a fairly invigor- invigorating feeling. No, absolutely it's apparent now that you just, you can't not 
do that. You know, we sit here and almost daily at the moment, you're hearing either a horror story or a good news story or a rebound story from an organization that's either got their culture really right or got their culture really wrong. And they're, they're paying lip service to the idea of culture and, you know, probably out there talking about how great their team is and all these things that they do for them. But then the behaviors behind that don't match up. And there's a lot of high profile ones that, you know, we don't need to mention names, but they're, they're out there. And, and you've also got, you know, the kind of rebound stories, your, your Microsofts and things like that, where a lot of that narrative, the, what, the way we've been told in the public is that, you know, there's, there's cultural behaviors that underpin all of these decisions that they're making. And, uh, yeah, the, the days of paying lip service to that and then not actually uh, actually doing it in the background, they're done. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. And, and companies are succeeding or failing by their culture. It seems like more often they're, they're failing because of it. There's a lot of different ways to think about culture. First and foremost, I think about culture through the lens of who are the people in your organization and, and how are you attracting them and who do you look for? And I'll give you one point of view on that, which is that at Whoop, we look for people that have a high intensity. So, you know, they're driven in a particular area. Maybe it's a deep expertise in, in their discipline. They're, they're high, they have a high degree of intensity in that regard. Mm-hmm. And they have a high degree of humility. And the reason that that's a powerful combination is that, one, it's actually quite unusual. Uh, normally, when you meet people who are high intensity, they tend to be lower, lower humility. Or you meet people who have a high degree of humility, but they're not that intense. So actually finding people who are high intensity, high humility in itself is, uh, is hard to do. And then what happens when you have a lot of people in an organization that have that vibe is when you go to have a conversation, let's say you've got five people in a room trying to figure out how the WHOOP sensor is sending data to an iPhone, right? And, and you've got an iOS engineer, and you've got an Android engineer, and you've got uh, a designer and a marketer and a product person all in a room trying to figure this out. They're all going to come at it from a completely different point of view. And what happens is there's this collision of ideas, right? And when you have people who are also humble, what they end up doing is listening and they end up recognizing that there's a number of different ways to solve a problem. And they ultimately find the solution that's best for the company, not who came up with that solution. And what those types of people working together then create is what I like to call an idea meritocracy. And an idea meritocracy is just one where the best ideas win. And, uh, and when you have an environment that's an idea meritocracy, all of a sudden you have people of all different levels feeling comfortable challenging one another, talking to one another, uh, brainstorming ideas. And it doesn't matter if you're an intern or the CEO, you could have the next great idea for the company. And so you know, that in turn, I think, makes people at all different levels more comfortable talking to one another. It creates more transparency in the organization. So that's kind of a, uh, a bottom-up way to look at culture, which is what kind of people are you bringing into your organization and what types of people uh, or and what type of culture do those people naturally produce? So let me dig into that a little bit with you. 
how do you identify that person or those people, that group of people? You know, what 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 sort of process do you go through to nail that intensity, but also uh, the the humility? Well, look, you know, there's certain questions that start to probe at it. And, you know, for example, if you ask someone to describe a success that they've had in their career, what's the degree to which they're, you know, what's the degree to which they're taking credit for it versus recognizing that other people played a big role in it? A flip side of that is if you ask someone about uh, their previous work experience, what's the degree to which they're bad mouthing former members of their team or managers? Right. Those things start to start to hint at it. Um, and obviously the degrees to which someone is really sounding off, you, you might be able to get a better feel for it. There's, there's other things just um, that I probably won't go into that are sort of in that line that, that uh, an interview process can start to tease out. Now, admittedly, though, it is quite hard to figure out the degree to which someone is, is high intensity, high humility. And in some ways, I've kind of prided myself on building an organization that, that seems now to attract those people naturally. Whether or not I interview them or not, there's a bit of a self-selection that, that comes with it as well. Because the thing to keep in mind is your first 10 people are attracting the next 10 people are attracting the next 50 people are attracting the next 100 people. You know what I mean? So these things all sort of amplify on themselves, which is why I think you see an organization that sort of has lost its culture. And it seems like it happened overnight where it explodes. It's actually that, well, you had, you had an organization broken and then it doubled (laughs) so it's just like uh it's like oh wow you you really you really poured um you know a truck of gasoline on that fire i think you've nailed it there in that you kind of identify that it's two-way i think a lot of us tend to think about recruiting in particular as being one way outward bound from the organization so we go out to market with our description it's the other way around it's who you attract as well and i think this is where a lot of organizations get it wrong is that you kind of go with the standard job description or the the job description of the person before them they just slap it up on linkedin and then hope that the person coming in matches with their identity and their why and their mission and, and all these you know cultural values and all these different types of things but you can actually go out and and attract them and i, I don't mean that in kind of what's been labeled employ you know employer brand because um, i think that tends to lead to what you've just described in a, a toppling over because uh, it becomes a bit of a PR exercise more than a, an authentic um, way to convey your culture. But uh, yeah, the, I know a lot of p- different people are trying a lot of different things, but it seems not a lot is hitting the mark, which is why I wanted to ask, like, how do you actually find that person? Because everyone is searching for that, that humble, uh, intense person that's, <laughs> you know, that can drive the business forward. I'm actually, I'm not so sure everyone is looking for that person. They say you know, that, yeah. Uh, I, 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 well, I don't know that they do either um, because I think that there's organizations that are clearly not attracting that person, right? Where, look, there's certain cultures where the way, the way to the rise to the top is to bang your chest and to take credit and, uh, and to close as much as you can close. Uh, there, there's certainly cultures, cultures like that. And then by the way, there's, there's internal mechanisms, which you may not even recognize or an organization may not even recognize are actually, are actually further perpetuating that, um, that culture. 
So for example, uh, just take the, a restaurant, right? Just to keep it mm-hmm. simple, a restaurant that has shared tips amongst its wait staff versus um, just individual tips for each person. If, if I was waiting a table, I was getting those tips that all of a sudden creates a different, that just in itself creates a different culture. That's more of a top down. So separate from who the waiter or the waitress was that you attracted to your restaurant, the mechanism with which you're rewarding those people has, is now going to create a different culture. If I am in that system where I'm only getting tips from my table, I'm going to be much more focused on my tables than everyone else's tables. So if a random table asks me to grab them uh, you know, a dirty martini, I may be less likely to do that in one culture versus another, even, even if I went into it being, you know, a person who may have been inclined to help so that there's, there's top down mechanisms that I think affect the bottom up just as much. And we haven't, we've talked less about that, but um, that's why if you just look at a bunch of different organizations there, it's not obvious that they're always trying to attract the person I described. Yeah, I would agree with you there. For you then, how have you formed this this view of of leadership and of culture? Like what what kind of inputs have you had? You've obviously been testing in real time with your own company, but where do you go for for advice? Is it books? Is it mentors? Like who's kind of helped shape this for you? It's a good question. Look, I think first of all, you have to have people around you that that you trust and I've tried to hire people that are a lot more capable or a lot smarter than me and, and have them tell me what to do. You know, I think the, the mistake that uh, a younger entrepreneur or an inexperienced entrepreneur might make is to uh, assume that you hire people to tell them what to do. And I think you you actually want to try to do the opposite, which is you hire great people and, and let them tell you what to do. Uh, so in a lot of ways, uh, I've tried to build Whoop by listening to the people around me. That's not to say that I can't be a real pain in the ass sometimes <laughs> and have some strong opinions myself. But, you know, I think you want to try to listen to the people around you. And, you know, if, if you are listening, it is pretty clear to tell whether or not directionally a culture's working, directionally people are happy. Uh, I think you can also just tell a lot by walking around an office and seeing, are people from different departments talking to one another? Uh, Are people smiling? You know, are people ever laughing? It's very, you know, in some ways, just very basic human, you know, reaction to an environment is is pretty easy to judge. And I think you can tell a lot about a startup or any organization just by walking around it. So that's something I'm always, you know, quite mindful of doing. Another thing is there's a lot of data to to sort of back up how culture is holding up. You know, you have a, a net promoter score, hopefully, that you're, me- you're measuring of your employees. So uh, how likely is a member of the team to... Uh, recruit a friend of theirs to join the company or, or recommend someone to join Whoop. That's something that we look at. Of the people you've hired in the past year, how many are still in the organization? How many have quit? And then how many have been fired? 
um, of the offer letters that you've sent to new uh, potential hires, what percentage of them uh, accept? Uh, these are all core metrics that we look at very closely, and I'm proud to say are are all quite good. Uh, and by the way, you know they've gotten better over time as as I've thought about these things more. So it's not to say you're going to get it all right out of the gates, but it is to say that you have to really worry about it and think about it and invest the time to to understand it. Let's get into the business itself. We haven't really touched on Whoop in its entirety, but maybe let's start with that foundational idea. How how did this thing come about for you? Like, why have you ended up in human performance and, and specifically recovery and strain and sleep? What was that 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 kind of uh, the the original nugget? Well, a lot of it goes back to being a college athlete and always being someone who was into sports. I was training at a high level while I was at Harvard, and uh, and I used to be one of the fittest guys on the team, but almost every season I would have this, this twisted thing that happens to about 70% of athletes, which is you push yourself too far. Mm-hmm. So you get fitter and fitter and fitter, and then all of a sudden you fall off a cliff. And you know, quite literally, your body's run down for could be a week, could be as much as a month, where it's just in a suppressed suboptimal state, even though you had been working so hard to make it fitter. And I always thought of this as the ultimate betrayal. And and clearly my mind was capable of pushing my body further than it was it should go. And I got really interested in how could I measure things about my body to help understand that, to help um, optimize training. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it take to train optimally? Uh and then, by the way, other athletes I was around would get injured or they would undertrain, or, you know, none of us really knew what the hell sleep or recovery was in this whole equation, other than that people told us to sleep more before a game. <laughs> so, you know, I got pretty fascinated in that whole concept of, of monitoring the body. And then, separately from that, I'd, I'd always been interested in technology. You know, I'd been watching this evolution of, of computers really going from being on um, on a desk to on your lap to in your pocket, and I generally believed that eventually they would be on your body, and and so the combination of of, of being very interested in in sports and physiology and and also this sort of deep belief that that technology was rapidly going to play a big role in health, and computing was going to play a big role in health. Uh, I did a lot of physiology research while I was in school, and I got interested in, well, if you could monitor anything about the body, what would you monitor? And I read something like 500 medical papers while I was in school, uh, which was a lot, especially for someone who is technically a government major. <laughs> and, um, and I wrote a paper myself around how to continuously understand the human body. And, uh, and literally, that paper was on how do you measure strain, recovery, and sleep uh, to improve fitness. And so, uh, that became the business plan, uh, for whoop. And I, I founded the company my senior year, you know, literally out of a dorm room and I've been building the business ever since. And the audience for this show, a lot of high performance directors, a lot of coaches, a lot of people in, 
in physical fitness and physiology. So give us the, the two minute spiel as to where we are now. How has this all developed for you from that dorm room moment? Yeah, look, today Whoop develops technology across hardware and software and analytics really designed to improve performance. We measure in particular strain and recovery and sleep. Now, if you think about training optimally, it's really taking on the amount of strain relative to how recovered your body is. So if your body's more recovered, you take on more strain. And if your body's less recovered, you take on less strain, right? And when you see an imbalance, that's a sign of overtraining or undertraining, right? If I've got a high recovery, but I don't put any stress on my body, I'm undertraining my body. If I have a low recovery and I put a lot of strain on my body and I do that day over day, well, gosh, that's how you overtrain. And so Whoop is able to actually tell you every morning how recovered your body is and suggest how much strain you should put on it as a result. And then over the course of the day, you accumulate strain that could be in the form of exercise or daily activity or stress at work. And WHOOP measures all of that. And then at the end of the day, we actually look at the stress that you've accumulated on your body, and we look at who you are, and we tell you how much sleep to get before you go to bed to recover for tomorrow. So it's a very actionable product, and it really focuses on strain and recovery and sleep. And you may be asking yourself, okay, how is it different than other products in the market? And the biggest thing is that we collect way more data than any other product on the market. So we collect about 50 to 100 megabytes of data on a person per day, which is anywhere from 1,000 to 10,000 times as much health data in a given day as a Fitbit or even an Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. So that just puts in perspective the massive spectrum with which we're collecting health data and that allows us to really accurately measure key physiological insights about your body. And you've had, you know, amazing groundswell from the athletic community, obviously, and it kind of, you know, even watching from, um, you know, one of the businesses I'm involved in from the endurance sports landscape, we see those guys are hyper in tune with their bodies and, and their recovery given, you know, Ironman and what they put themselves through and that kind of industry. And, but really what, what you've developed here is something that is going to help everyone uh, realize their human potential, right? Look, you got it. I mean, what's, what's fun about sports is that they're, they're a great mechanism for telling stories and uh, professional athletes are always on the cutting edge. And uh, it was really only like 30 years ago, frankly, that professional athletes started lifting weights. Right. And <laughs> now you can't go to, a, I mean, you can't go to a hotel in America that doesn't have a gym, right? And so that whole story of why society needs to lift weights was really told through professional sports. And I think the next story that's now being told is around sleep and recovery. And we've been able to show how professional athletes, different sports teams can use WHOOP data, in particular, understanding what they need to do to recover properly uh, to perform better. 
I mean, it's no surprise that an athlete who's got a higher recovery and has more slow wave sleep and more REM sleep uh, performs better in games or runs faster time trials or, you know, swims a faster Olympic trial. Uh, it's, it's not a surprise, but the reality is you can only manage what you measure. And if you're not measuring sleep, if you're not measuring recovery, it's very hard to manage against it. It's very hard to action against it. So I've got the list of the you know highest level athletes that have used whoop and I know, you know, you're not really a, a sponsorship organization, but are there any coaches that are using whoop? Cause that's my big crusade is I need coaches to sleep more because whoop historically never thought of them as someone that needs to perform and glorified, you know, the NFL coach that sleeps at the stadium and gets three hours sleep a night. We need to get them on whoop. And look, by the way, we have a number of, of NFL coaches, major league baseball coaches, NHL coaches, um, basketball coaches that wear whoop. And sometimes I'll just be watching TV and I'll see a whoop strap on their wrist. So that's what was cool <laughs> for me. Because look, they need to understand what's going on too. And they, they live, you know, cognitively challenging lives and careers, right? Where the amount of REM sleep that they get probably actually has a pretty critical impact on their performance during a game or during a strategy session or giving a speech. And, uh, and so they need to be optimal too. Absolutely. Yeah. To kind of tie the ideas together, you know, talking about leadership and culture and, and, uh, and what you guys do is, you know, that's something that I see as a huge gap and, and something that leaders in whatever industry they're in, you know, really need to start thinking about themselves like performance because you're constantly giving yourself to, to other people. And like you said, cognitively challenging environments and, and there are opportunities to optimize that. I'll give you a funny example. We had a a, uh, a general manager on Whoop, um, and I, I won't say his name, but but super well known. And he uh, he woke up with a red recovery one day, and he didn't sleep much uh, according to Whoop. And uh, and it was a busy day at the office, and you know it's you know he's looking at a trade offer, and he's realizing he wasn't in a position to evaluate it properly because he didn't feel like he was fully tuned. So that's an interesting example of sort of recognizing the moment that you're in and deciding, hey, am I gonna am I gonna take this shot on goal right now, or should I maybe wait for tomorrow with a little bit more rest? to get this right oh man that's music to my ears anyone that listens to the show knows i beat this drum a lot so i love hearing that uh and i know you've had kind of you know a lot of success within sports themselves you know kind of going in cycling and golf and and the nba and i know you've got some some high profile uh investors from the nba and things like that if you were to look at a sport or a segment that hasn't quite taken off yet We've talked about coaching, but either a sport or something else hasn't quite taken off yet for 2020. What what would it be? I'm thinking about that. Well, you know, the fascinating thing about sleep and recovery is it applies to every athlete. Because I used to get asked, well, what sport is Whoop good for? 
And the reality is that we actually have athletes on every, you know, in every sport wearing the product. And I think a lot of that just goes back to the fact that every, every human being, right, needs to sleep and recover to be effective in their jobs. So I can't say I have one specific sport. Now, if you'd asked me last year, the sport, I, I would have said that I would be excited to see Whoop grow in. Um, I would have said golf, but this year it was like, I don't know what happened, but we exploded in golf and we probably have 20 of the top 30 players in the world wearing whoop and it's all completely organic. You know, they buy it through whoop.com and, and just sign up for our membership. And I think it's in part because, you know, other golfers are seeing that the guys who wear whoop are winning these tournaments. I mean, I'm not exaggerating nine of the last 11 PGA tour events were won by someone wearing a whoop strap on the 18th hole. So it's sort of unbelievable that we've had that, uh, that level of traction. And I feel, uh, incredibly grateful that these guys are getting value out of the, out of the platform. Yeah, no doubt. And let's go back to the start just for a second. You know, how did that kind of evolution happen? So you've been involved in obviously military and sports. I'm thinking of, if you know the story of Under Armour and, and, you know, it's kind of evolved a bunch of different times. How did that evolution happen for you? Like what was the first kind of takeoff point? Um, you know, who was the, not who was the first sport or whatever it may be? Like what was the first uptake like for you? And did that surprise you? Well, uh, let's see. I mean, two of our first hundred users were LeBron James and Michael Phelps. So we started really at the tip of the pyramid in terms of, of high-performance athletes. And this would have been like 2015. So they were the two best athletes, arguably, in the world at the time. And, uh, and so that just having an athletes of that caliber wearing the product was super validating for me and, and other members of the team to say, okay, what we're, what we're working on here has some real value. You know, from there, we went from working with individual athletes to working more with teams. So we started working professional sports teams, college teams. We became the first product to be approved to be worn in Major League Baseball. Uh, so you can whoop can be worn in games. We became the official recovery wearable of the NFL Players Association. So whoop is uh, distributed to every player in the NFL. We started having inroads with uh, the NBA. We started being worn in in you know pretty influential pockets of the military like the navy seals seal team six seal team 10 those types of super high profile uh super impressive individuals were gravitating to the product and then and then look over time we just kept hearing more and more from consumers that this was something that could help them uh, and so we we launched whoop as a subscription uh, last year where you can get the product for as little as $30 down and, and it's just a monthly subscription and everything comes free with it. So hardware, software, analytics is all included uh, in that subscription. And for us, that's been, uh, it's been a really exciting transition mm -hmm. and, uh, and now I'm proud to say that we're growing in the consumer market. Yeah, absolutely. And so where to from here? You know, what's next? What, what problems are you working on solving now? 
Well, again, our mission is to unlock human performance. So if it involves human performance, we view it's our responsibility to, uh, to deliver on that. And that includes you know, being able to really accurately measure the body. It includes giving analysis to our members to help them uh, really uncover new insights. It means providing a community that's collaborative, that you know includes maybe your friends or your coworkers or your your teammates to help you you know understand your data together. It's it's just continuing to build a brand around human performance. I love that. And so outside of this whole world, I know you're deep in this, and then probably spend. 99.9% of your day thinking about Whoop and, and working on the business. But what what's kind of intellectually stimulating you outside of work? You're obviously, as someone that read 500 medical papers, there's obviously a lot that, <laughs> that you think about on a day-to-day basis. Is there anything at the moment that's taking you away from this that you're interested in? Well, I, I do get pretty interested in, um, you know, books related to what you might call like the self help or performance category. So what are different things that, you know, you can do as an individual to be a better version of yourself. And, and there's a bit of a whoop overlap there, but it goes, you know, a lot of it could be around psychology or it could be around um, meditation, which I practice, uh, you know, so, so finding other ways to try to be a, a, a better version, I guess, of, myself uh those are those are types of books i like to read and then you know i'm very interested in technology broadly speaking so uh i try to read books by people who have who have built technology that impresses me or you know run run technology companies or have a point of view on how to build uh technology companies you know there's a lot of business books out there but i think if you read a if you read a good biography or autobiography of someone who uh, has had a vision and, and seen it through. Uh, there's a lot to learn from that too. Yeah. The practitioners are gold. Absolutely. Of the 15 million yeah. sports that you named at the start of the show, do you still play any? <laughs> I still play squash. Uh, I still play, um, I still play squash pretty competitively. I still play golf, which I'm, I, reasonably good at i try to work out you know five or six days a week which is is on brand for for running whoop um it involves some form of running or weightlifting or i actually play a number of team sports so i'm in a, i'm in a soccer league i'm in a basketball league i'm terrible at uh basketball i'm pretty mediocre at soccer uh but there's something fun about just being part of a being part of part of a sports team still you know as you get older I think most people give that up probably sooner than they should. They do. One of the amazing things you know, from Australia and, and um, moving over here and meeting people that still play hockey at, you know, in their fifties and sixties and get out with their buddies. And, you know, once a week on a Thursday night at 10 o'clock or whatever it is. Um, yeah. There's just, there's something really cool to that. And it's just that, that one activity for them, whether it's reliving the glory years or not, it doesn't really matter. Totally. Mate, where can people find Whoop? Where can they follow you? And uh, also plug your podcast as well, because it's gold as well. Yeah, thank you. So I'm the host of the Whoop podcast where we'll interview 
you know, really interesting people across sports, technology, uh, executives, people who live really a high performance lifestyle. And I'll try to uncover what are the different strategies or tips and tricks they, they have to, to managing and living their life. And um, the company that I run is called Whoop, W-H-O-O-P, which we've talked about. Uh, and you can find us at whoop.com. Uh, we're on all the social channels at Whoop, and uh, and you can find me uh, on you know Twitter, Instagram uh, at Will Ahmed, W I L L A H M E D. Will, thank you very much. I appreciate you giving us a glimpse. I know a lot of people, like I said at the top of the show, they come to you for you know business and tech, and and you've given us a glimpse into you know your leadership philosophy and culture and things like that, which I I, I very much uh, value and appreciate. So thank you for that. And uh, yeah, for for listeners of the show, I, I'd highly recommend following you on social and checking out your platform. And um, I have a whoop now, uh, so thank you very much for that. And uh, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Cody. Really enjoyed it. <laughs>